You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Chris Getz does not like the catchers that he came into the season with. I think that's very, very obvious with Stassi and Maldonado that he was not a fan of Corey Lee and uh, did not think that Perez was worth very much of anything. Because if you were really in a rebuild, my friend, you'd be getting at bats to guys like that. And he is not interested in it. Well, I don't know if it's that he doesn't like him necessarily. I don't know if he doesn't. I, I honestly think what he's doing here is something that is a complete and total reversal of everything that Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams did wrong when it came to player development. That is, he is not anointing anybody from the minor leagues as being on this team. They are going to have competition. They are going to have to beat an actual Major League Baseball player for their job. So what you're saying is he may think that Corey Lee could be a catcher. He may think that Carlos Perez, who's 27 years old at this point. Well, I, Carlos Perez, I have a feeling he's, he's souring on Carlos Perez. Right, but they, they have to prove it is what you're saying. You're saying, I am not, you're saying, Chris Getz is saying, I am no longer going to play baseball players on my 26-man roster at the major league level unless they are an established major league level baseball player. I would rather have the Paul the Youngs and the Nicky Lopez's and the Martin Maldonado's and all those guys out there who can at least act like a ball player, live like a ball player, understand the nuances of the game, not be, feel like that they're overwhelmed. I know what they are. They can play defense. They can run a pitching staff. I will take that as my bare minimum and somebody has to knock them off the hill to take their job. That's what you're saying. That is what I'm saying. No more going into 2006 with Brian Anderson anointed as the center fielder because in their estimation, he's ready, and when he struggles, there's no fallback plan, and he doesn't have to beat anybody out because they traded Aaron Rowan away. No more Oscar Colas as our right fielder because we think he's ready, and he doesn't have to beat anybody out because we didn't put anybody in front of him. No more anointing Romy Gonzalez as Ben Zobras 2.0 because you don't have anybody else in camp that can compete for a utility man position or can compete to be potentially the starting second baseman. No more Andrew Vaughn being rushed to the majors because the timeline says Andrew Vaughn should be our DH. Oh, wait, he's our right fielder. Oh, wait, he's our third baseman. Oh, wait, he's our second baseman. Oh, wait, we don't know what the hell to do with him, and he's overwhelmed by the whole thing in the major leagues because we didn't give him enough time to develop, and nobody was in front of him and nobody else was there. No, I think Chris Getz is sitting there. He's looking at Corey Lee. He's looking at Carlos Perez. He's even looking at Edgar Caro to a certain degree and saying, look, I have two guys in this on this roster right now that were starting catchers in the major leagues. Stassi, before he got hurt and had some personal issues he needed to attend to, Martin Maldonado on the Houston Astros, who kept winning World Series and going into the playoffs with him and his weak bat behind the plate. Come on, guys. Prove it to me. Knock off a catcher who is so good defensively and so well-regarded behind the plate that he doesn't even need to hit to be the starting catcher on a, on a, on a World Series team or knock off this other guy who was the starting catcher for the Angels before he got hurt. Go ahead, knock them off. Same thing for you, Oscar, because you already said Oscar Colas isn't well, on yeah, this team. Oscar Colas is not making the Major League team. I, I, I agree with you if, if Gavin Sheets is not my right fielder on opening day. I'll agree with you on that because I don't think Gavin Sheets has done enough to be the everyday right fielder on this team. 
If they, oh, if he takes that philosophy, then personally, I love the philosophy, right? I will sit at Cork and Carry at the park before every game that I go to in 2024 and tell any Sox fan that comes walking up to me at the home base for White Sox, uh, you know, pregame, postgame, in-game enjoyment. I will sit there having a two-for-one burger on a Tuesday telling Gino behind the bar, get me one of those award-winning burgers and bring me a second one for free because it's two-for-one. I will enjoy all the libations at the bar and the camaraderie with Sox fans because that is the place to be. Heck, I'll go do it up in Beverly here during the offseason at 106th and Western and, and, and just enjoy all that that traditional Irish pub has to offer. And of course, I'll see more at CorkandCarry.com. I'll do all of that, but I can't believe in that philosophy if Gavin Sheets is my right fielder on opening day because that guy hasn't proven anything to me. Sure, he can hit the ball from time to time very far, and he's a left-handed bat, but the best that he is is a left-handed bat off of the bench or used in a platoon role, and so I don't want him being anointed and right, and I think that may be one of the scariest things that is kind of forming in my brain as this offseason progresses because until they address right field in any way, that's what's going to be standing out there. You're going to see bad defense Aloy waiting to hurt himself and Gavin Sheets out in right field. And and I love the philosophy of you've got to come and take a job from somebody who's earned it. I love that. I I have preached that. Heck, I've said I said that back during the supposed rebuild that I don't like rushing guys up and let's have some real baseball players in there that are at least at the bar level, right? They're at least they're at, they're they're the level they have to surpass. They have to earn that job. It's not handed to them. I love that philosophy. But right field is a real issue if you don't address it. And I'm I'm still waiting for that to happen. I I still think it happens in a in a Dylan Cease trade, but it has to happen somewhere, right? Well, and I think what what we're looking at there is is the Dylan Cease trade has the potential to bring the guy who's going to be the guy, okay, and is going to bring the, back a player that you're going to sit there and say, this is Luis Robert Jr.'s running buddy until, you know, death do them part or whatever. And and you're going to have that. And I think the fallback is you're finding a competent everyday major league outfielder, somebody who can play the position, somebody who has been there before, somebody that Oscar Colas can come in and knock him off. Somebody that Gavin Sheets, for that matter, could come in and knock him off by improving his defense and actually hitting. I don't think Gavin Sheets is capable of that at this point. I think we've seen enough of him to know. I think the jury's still out on Oscar Colas. I, I just I just appreciate the fact that Getz is sitting there saying, no, Oscar Colas is not my starting right fielder. He's still in the organization. He hasn't traded him. He hasn't let him go, but he's not his starting right fielder on the major league roster. And outfielders are kind of a dime a dozen. I think you can sit there and say, like, yeah, you know, Adam Duvall would be fine in right field for the 2024 White Sox as a guy who lets Colas earn it. Okay, well, that's, the kind, guy, that's the kind of guy that you see them signing a one-year deal with as we get towards the end of this, right? Exactly. Like that's the guy. If they can't pull off the trade, it's a it's him or a guy like him that they try to go out and sign. And then Sox fans get angry and shake their fists and say, "I'm sick of these one-year deals." And I'm with you. I hate them because one-year deals don't build me closer to a championship. I get that. No. But but at a bare minimum, if the philosophy is we will not field players that are not ready to play in the majors anymore. We will no longer go with these weird experiments where we send a guy out there for a couple of months. Unless he catches fire immediately, we don't know what to do with him. So we're benching him. We're sending him down. We're bringing him back up. We're now using him in utility role. We're not giving him off at bats. Maybe we give him too many at bats. And and it just, 
it drags the whole team down. So we're no longer going to drag the team down by putting a guy in there unless we're sure he can. And then you won't see them bring up three guys at once. It'll be one guy in the lineup that's trying to break in and take somebody's job while all the other regular, everyday, professional Major League Baseball players continue to play. And that's why I don't think this is a 100-loss team next year. That, that's I, I really, if that's the philosophy, if the philosophy is play defense, you know, play sound baseball, field a professional team, I don't think you're a 100-loss team, and I don't think you're in last place in the Central. You're definitely not a playoff team. Trust me, I'm not going to tell you you're even 500 or close to it, but I don't think you're a 100-loss team, and I don't think you're at the bottom of the division like most people are projecting them to be because something has to be said for just putting together a team that plays fundamentally sound baseball. And we haven't seen that here on the South Side in a long time, so I think we've forgotten what it looks like, but it, it does make a difference. So if that's what the philosophy is, I can get behind it. It just really depends. Uh, like, w- will we be rewarded for our patience here this offseason by an addition or two, especially in the rotation, possibly in that right field position, or maybe even in the middle infield, where you bump one of those defensive middle infielders for a guy who can play defense and hit, and you're able to start making some improvements to the team? Will we be rewarded before opening day? And th- and that's the real question, I think. Well, and I think the answer is is it's still too early to say definitively, no, that's not going to happen. It's still too early to say definitively, yes, it's going to happen. I think right now it's just sort of there are possibilities, okay, that that lead us to both answers. And the one that's easier to project is the White Sox don't do anything, okay? You get your Tim Hill signings, which, again, is just, you know, he's an arm. He's a submariner. I mean, like, the White Sox hate submariners. Any any longtime White Sox fan still remembers Chad Bradford, who, again, if you don't remember him, watch Moneyball. He's the submariner pitcher that they kind of feature. The White Sox don't know how to use him, and the A's acquire him, and Billy Bean fleeced him. Like, you know, there is something to be said for having a guy throw a ball with a different arm angle. You know, I see other teams do it, and they're able to do it with success. He doesn't need to be a Hall of Famer. I saw a lot of people, like, grinding and gnashing their teeth for over that move, and I sit there and say, well, you know, I mean, he's not he's not great. He's, he's in the back end of your bullpen. He's, you know, he, he may, you know, they said, well, he might be used in high leverage situations. Well, he might be. There might be there might be batters that are really bad against submarining lefties. I guarantee there are guys in their scouting reports that can't hit a guy who's a lefty submarine pitcher. I don't care. I don't care what his skill level is. So, it, it, you know, just a piece in your bullpen. Like, don't get upset about pieces in a bullpen, folks. Because, again, that goes back to the last regime. The last regime spent a ridiculous amount of money on bullpen pieces that never really panned out and did what they were paid to do. And by the way, don't spend a ridiculous amount of money yourself getting exterior windows, doors, patio doors, and storm doors. You go to Window and Doors Superstore of Oak Forest for that. They've been around for 40 years in Oak Forest since 1985. There's an owner in the showroom. There's an owner on site. They use their own installers. They don't farm out the work. And you're going to walk into the store and you're going to see everything right there in front of you. No little examples being brought into your living room, somebody scuffing up your floors. No, no, no. You're going to go in, you're going to see everything right there. No pictures in a book, all the etchings, all the doorknobs, all the bells and whistles. It gives you a chance to pick out exactly what you want, see what it's going to look like. They have all major brands custom made with no stock items for a perfect fit. They're a half block east of 159th and Ridgeland at 6280 159th Street. See more at windowdooroakforest.com. That said, this is how bullpens get built by a lot of other teams pieces, guys that fill a certain role. That, that isn't a bad signing. 
He's $1.8 million. Right. He's, he's, he's not the league minimum, but he's damn near close to he's it. He's expendable if somebody takes his job. Right. Again, and we're back in. If somebody takes his job, he's expendable. The $1.8 million isn't that big of a deal. The money that they signed Martin Maldonado for is really not that big of a deal. It just wasn't a huge dollar amount that they spent on him for a guy that, at the worst, is probably the best backup catcher you can ask for. In the majors. Think of what you're spending this year on Leary Garcia. Because you still got to pay him $5.5 million because you gave him three years at $5.5 million a year. That guy had no skills. He was bad at defense. He was a poor hitter. He got lucky every once in a while and ran into a pitch and got it over the wall. He had his one moment in that game three, and that will be romanticized by a certain portion of the fan base. Always romanticize that moment, okay? But in the end, they probably win the game without that home run. They they were scoring runs left and, and right, and the momentum that they had in that game. I don't know if I believe that that was the only reason why they even won the game. And in the end, it was just one game and a failed playoff run. Right. That's all it was. All right. He couldn't play defense and they said, oh, you could put him anywhere. You could put me anywhere too. Right. You could, you could give me a glove. I'd go stand in the outfield. I would suck. But so did Larry Garcia in center field. But look at the money they wasted on him. So in the end, these little deals to fill holes and put a professional in there. Okay. And so that these young guys have somebody they have to overtake. And also that that guy cannot just not only be replaced by somebody in the White Sox farm system. That guy with the $1.8 million contract or the league minimum contract over here, that guy can be replaced if Chris Getz pulls off a trade or makes a signing this year, next year. You're not pigeonholing yourself into a system where we're going to sit there and we're going to say, because we did it so many times over the last couple of years, God, this guy sucks, but they're not going to move on from him because the old man's spending all kinds of money on him, right? Look how long they waited on on, on uh, Dallas Keuchel. Look how long they waited on Larry Garcia and how many opportunities he got because of how stupid that contract was. Look how long they wait to make decisions. Chris Getz is not going to have to worry about saying, hey, by the way, Jerry, we dropped so-and-so. What did he cost us? Nothing at all. Barely a dime. Right. If Max Stassi loses his job, because like you said, Corey Lee, maybe it is that Chris Getz really isn't convinced on him. I don't think that he should be convinced on him at this point. But let's say Lee comes in and your, your opening day catchers are Corey Lee and Martin Maldonado. Okay, Max Stassi loses his job. He loses his spot on the Major League roster. He is a league minimum player as far as the White Sox payroll is concerned. Adios, muchacho. Okay, he can go down to Charlotte. He can go find a job somewhere else. And it's not going to hurt them the bottom line. If Maldonado doesn't pan out, $4 million really isn't that bad of an investment. That's probably market for the guy considering his credentials. And I know he can't hit worth a damn, but everybody knows he can't hit worth a damn, and they still want him. I'd rather have him than make a trade for Sal Perez. Remember when that was what we were worried about? Right. Yeah. Because here's the thing, too. What's he building? He's building defense, right? Tim Hill, for whatever he is worth, is $1.8 million. Ground ball rate. Ground ball, dude, right? That's the grounder, 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 grounder. What what did the White Sox do? Why is Paul DeYoung even on the roster? Because Paul DeYoung is an elite shortstop. Yeah, but that's the thing. If you look at these players in a vacuum, you go, what are we doing? If you look at these players as there's actually a purpose to it. And, and it's funny to me because I like, again, I hate the fact that I have to sit here constantly and defend a general manager that I never wanted to you hire never in, the wanted first him place. in the first place. I never wanted to hire him in the first place, but I can see what he's doing a lot more than I think uh, like some fans can see because you're just looking at the name and you're looking at the OPS. What did they do before, you know, coming out of the bullpen? What was their role? Why would they be that role here? All right. And these are the same people that romanticize the Moneyball movie. 
right? They romanticized that movie. The A's won nothing, right? They didn't they didn't go off and win a World Series with that philosophy. They couldn't keep up with the money. No, they were they were somewhat right. competitive. The Red Sox figured out how to do that because they were able to add payroll when it was right. By the way, Jerry Reinstorf did have the seventh highest payroll in baseball just a couple of years ago. So if Chris gets is putting together a team where then at the final moment, you can go to the owner and say, we've got something here. We need to retain this guy and this guy. And we need to go into free agency. You know that they'll be able to go and do it at that point in time. If the philosophy is to sit there and say, we want pitchers that induce ground balls and we want guys that can field those ground balls, that that's what they're doing right now. And relatively cheaply, by the way. Exactly. They're relatively cheaply setting a base. People have complained forever there is no such thing as the White Sox way. Well, if the White Sox way, according to Chris Getz, a former middle infielder, if the White Sox way is that I want to be strong up the middle because that's what I value because he's a baseball player, right? That's the difference between him and Rick Hahn, a baseball player, a guy who's played on the field, a guy who's gone 162, a guy who's traveled with the team and lived that lifestyle, a guy who's moved from team to team, a guy who knows what it's like in the locker room, a guy who's been on bad teams, been on good teams, a guy who's lived within Major League Baseball. And also a guy a guy who was not anointed No, the way, say, Kenny Williams won because, was because Kenny Williams was such an athlete that the expectations for him were super high. Chris Getz was a grinder to go back and use an old Avi, you know, an old an old Aussie term, right? Chris Getz was a grindy kind of a guy, okay? And and so his values on the baseball field are completely different. Ken Williams always wanted the superstars, right? right. That's what he wanted. He wanted to build an all-star always team. Always wanted the names, always chase names when they were past their prime because he wanted because to say that's when he could afford he had them. gotten them at some point. And that's that's yeah. how he did. And we don't have that right now. If we have a general manager who, from his own personal experience as a ball player, who played in the middle infield, sits there and says, I want to be strong up the middle. I want to be good defensively. I want ground balls induced. I want to knock down the amount of balls that are flying out of the ballpark from the other team. And I want that to be my base. And then after that, I can sit there and say, okay, we need to add this to our lineup. We need to change this position over here. But I need to set some sort of a base. You know, I buy into the possibility that that's how Getz is thinking because I can only go off of how he's acted since he got into the room, since he got the keys of the car from the old man, where he somehow convinced. I mean, I still fall back on the idea that he was surrounded by morons and was in a position where he wasn't making a lot of decisions and that it's possible that he just talked to the old man at the right time and convinced him I could do a better job. And yes, he slid in there. And yes, he probably wasn't the guy that we all wanted. And I don't know if it's going to work out for him, but he's got the keys right now. And I'm watching him do what? Set a base. I'm going to change what's in my front office because I can't start making moves until I have the right advisors in there, right? I'm going to I'm going to change I'm going to change the structure of the front office. I'm going to start changing who's scouting the team. I'm going to start trying to figure out what was working and what wasn't working and I already have a pretty good idea because I watched it for the last couple of years. And now I have to make changes to the roster. But first I'm going to lay down a base. What do I want no matter what? I want defense. Well, I'm going to go sign that right now. I'm going to go add in some defense. I'm going to add in some guys that induce ground balls. I'm going to add in. I'm going to. I'm going to add in some catching. I'm going to start telling these young guys, you don't have a guaranteed spot. You better work at it because that that way is gone. I'm not doing that anymore. All right. And then after that, if the base is laid and then he starts building, this all makes sense. The problem is we don't get to the fun part where the big trade gets pulled off. We don't get to the fun part where the free agent is signed until all this other stuff is done.
Another thing to note is that there's no timeline that Chris gets has to get it all done by the beginning of 2024 because this isn't his mess. Now, you may have a mess on your hands. You may not have very good health insurance for your employees or your business. In fact, you may have no health insurance. You want to retain employees, you got to give them a reason to stick around. That's where Butch Zemar and Elite Benefits of America comes in. The renewal season has ended, but now is the time to get started on 2024. Now is the time to get something new set up for your employees or set up just for yourself. If you're an individual out there who's in the market, talk to Butch. Talk about the increased premiums, the out-of-pocket expenses, and how to minimize all of that. Whether you run the benefits program for your company, own the company, want to impress the boss with a really good idea, you buy insurance on your own, or your retirement age, and you have some medical questions, give Elite Benefits of America a call. Reach out to our good friend Butch at 708-535-3006 or visit EliteBenefits.net. Back to Getz. As many times as people try to sit there and say, well, he was in that front office. When does the guy who's in charge of the minor league system get to make major league decisions on personnel? Do you, do you really believe that? He's given a mandate by his boss and told what to do. Now, whether or not you think he was good at that or bad at that, in the end, do you think Chris Getz, if Kenny Williams or Rick Hahn said, we're going to promote this guy and Getz said in the room, I don't think this is a good idea. Do you think that he was able to overrule them based upon what you've learned about the ball club? At this point, <laughs> no way. Okay, so here's the thing. Like, again, is he the right guy for the job? I don't know. Is he who I would have picked? No, there are guys that have more experience that are out there. But do I blame him for the last five, six years? I don't. Because it's hard for me as somebody, anybody who's had a job and seen the hierarchy of working in a company and seeing the personalities and the way that the guys at the top were acting in this organization for years, I just don't believe he's sitting in the room and has much of a say over what's going on. So, but what I am seeing is a very different way of building. I am seeing a very deliberate way of going down to the base and fixing things. That's why the rebuild didn't work, right? The re the Rickon rebuild was just, I'm going to trade away some high-end guys for guys that listed at the top of prospect list. Like anybody who plays fantasy baseball can do that. There was nothing complicated about it. But did he change the inner workings of the team? Did he change the people that were walking in the offices and making the scouting decisions? Were there people held accountable internally? No, none of that happened. So nothing really changed when they went to rebuild it. He really didn't go down to the studs. The studs remained. Chris Getz has started to replace studs. Okay, he started to change the, 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 the base model of the team. I don't know if it's going to work, but when you say we're going defense, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna go with some experience. We're going to set this level where we're not going to push these major minor league guys up until they can actually beat somebody who's there. We're going to change who's looking at players, who's evaluating players, who's, who's training players. We're going to do all of that. And, and, you know, you have to lay that first before you go out and you sign somebody. You, you have to. And I, so, uh, like, that's, that's what I'm holding on to tightly and waiting to be, you know, to, to be made to look like a fool in a couple of months. But I do think at some point a pitcher is going to get signed on to this team. I do think there is going to be a bill for 2025. And I do think that by opening day of 2025, this is going to be a very different team. And I don't think this is a 100-loss team. I think you're going to see some good things happening on the field. Not playoffs, but I think you're going to start to see something different. <laughs>
That music means it's time for the Sox nerd, Dave Marin. He puts up all the tidbits and interesting trivia on the scoreboard at the rate, and he joins us once a week here on Sox in the Basement with even more stuff that you would never get there. Uh, And it's all brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore, and enjoy Really a, a nice downtown area with all kinds of little shops. I know you're looking to, to spend a little bit of extra money after the Christmas holiday. Get down there and shop and visit LamontDowntown.com for more. How are you, nerd? Fantastic, Chris. How are you? Good, man. Uh, here we go. We're going into a new year. We've got some new faces added. They're not the faces I wanted yet, but I think we're kind of we're filling in in the background before we start making the moves I think that matter. Uh, tell us a little bit about maybe Martin Maldonado. What can I tell you about Martin Maldonado, the veteran catcher who was set to join the White Sox? Well, Maldonado is 37, and that's old for a catcher, but he is not the oldest backstop ever acquired by the White Sox. In fact, there have been four catchers older than Maldonado obtained by the Sox. The longest in the tooth were 40-year-old Sandy Alomar Jr. in 2006 and Tony Pena in 1997. The other two catchers older than Maldonado acquired by the Sox were 38-year-olds Charlie O'Brien in 1998 and Muddy Rule in 1934. More on Maldonado, who's had an interesting career. He won a gold glove for the Angels in 2017. Other catchers obtained by the Sox with gold gloves are Charles Johnson, Mike Lavalier, Pena, Alomar, and Carlton Fisk. Maldonado is the only player to catch two combined no-hitters. They were both for Houston and came on August 3, 2019 against Seattle, and June 25th, 2022, versus the Yankees. He also caught at least one other no-no, a mercy rule perfecto for Puerto Rico against Israel in the 2023 World Baseball Classic. Only Posada at 119 and Molina at 104 have caught more postseason games than Maldonado 65. Maldonado has homered against every big league team. He joined Stephen Drew, Orlando Hudson, and Jose Guillen as the only players to do this within his first 100 homers. Maldonado once pulled a Roy Hobbs and literally knocked the cover off the ball. Playing for the Brewers on April 18, 2014, Maldonado hit a ball to third that literally unraveled. Pirates third baseman Pedro Alvarez tried to throw the mess to first, but Maldonado had an easy single. The Sox now have the backstops, Maldonado and Max Stassi, who have caught 51% of Shohei Hotani's innings. By the way, Maldonado was the catcher, for Otani's big league pitching debut on April 1st, 2018. How about one more? On August 16th, 2020, Maldonado became the first catcher to steal a base and record a caught stealing on his birthday. Before I get to my zinger, I remind you that gems like these and long form pieces, I just added one on Jim Leyland and the Sox, are on my blog, which you can link to at SoxInTheBasement.com. Speaking of catchers, my zinger. This pod will drop on the birthday of Mrs. Soxner's favorite White Sox player, A.J. Krasinski. So how about a gem on good old number 12? Yes, he was smart. Yes, he was clutch. Yes, he was a winner. But I think Krasinski's most valuable quality was his durability. He caught at least 1,000 innings in each of his eight seasons with the White Sox. Since A.J. removed his Sox in 2012, only one player, Tyler Flowers in 2014, has caught at least 1,000 Sox innings in a season. That's it, Chris. More than you probably wanted to know about Spanky, Roy Hobbs, the WBC, and the great A.J. Pierzynski. Happy New Year, everybody.
You look at your current rotation, Ed. Okay, Dylan Cease, who I don't know. I, I don't really know what Dylan Cease is. Well, you know, he currently sits at the top, but he's probably a two a, and most likely a three on a good team. Right? Like, if he went to the Dodgers, he'd be like a I three. I think so. Right? So, like, so like that's what Dylan Cease is, but he's your ace. Eric Fetty, according to Fangrass, is your number two. I agree with that. He's probably the I'll, guy I'll amongst that. all the rest of them that has the best chance of having a positive season coming off of what he did in the KBO. Michael Kopech is listed as a three on Fangrass. Eh, he's really a five and probably a bullpen guy. He's really a six or seven. Right. Someday somebody's going to realize that. Mike Soroka is listed as the number four pitcher, according to Fangraphs. That's probably a fair thing to put there with the upside of being a top-end rotation guy. If coming out of the injuries that he's had, he returns the form like he was beforehand. And then that's like, wow, such a big win for Chris Getz, especially if he's able to, after you see Soroka and you see what he's able to do and you go, wait a minute, this guy we want to keep around if they're able to sign him as some sort of an extension, okay? And then Tuki Toussaint is sitting in the five spot, according to Fangraphs, and he is not your fifth starter. If Tuki breaks camp in your rotation, you've had a terrible spring. All these guys like Nick Nastrini down there and, and Eater, all these, all these other pitchers that you've acquired over the last six months or so, they all have to fail. For a guy with a 1.4 whip to be in your rotation, well, even even I was reading on online. Uh, Mike Exissa from CBS suggested that much like Seth Lugo, who just got a bunch of money from the Royals because he was a career reliever that turned into a starter in San Diego, and now the Royals are paying him like a starter. That the White Sox have a guy in Tanner Banks who hasn't been given enough of a shot as a starter. Yeah, and and could be your number five on the cheap because he's a guy who's got multiple pitches. He throws strikes generally. And he's been effective in a multi-inning role before. And so you've got you've got opportunities there for, for the back end of this rotation to be filled with inexpensive guys that might be something but probably aren't. And that's okay in a 2024 situation because it gives you another offseason to get Eater and Estrini and any of the other guys in the minors who you think have the talent to ascend to the top of the rotation or to extend Mike Soroka if, if, if he's in – form for what you know we expect him to be based on what his early career was or Eric Fetty if he's the real deal and you want to even extend him you know you have opportunities there but again competition at the back end of the rotation is good the question is 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 there enough there for competition is 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 a competition between Kopech and Schuster and Banks and Toussaint and Eater and Nestrini and Davis Martin if he's healthy I mean is there enough of that to, to be worth it in 2024 where you don't necessarily need to do something or expecting to trade Dylan Cease, having Eric Fetty, having Soroka if he's healthy, is it something where you want to make sure that you have, and I think this gets back to what we're talking about, about Chris Getz building a base team to build around okay, right. and a foundation to build around. He needs a base set of pitchers. If Dylan Cease brings back one or two guys that become part of a base set of pitchers, and that includes guys that are in the minors that need to earn their way up and need to prove that they're ready to go, then I think we've had a successful offseason and a successful short rebuild. But he has, to, but he has, doesn't he have to add at least one to two, especially if he's trading Cease, one to two pitchers out of this free agent market that are actual major league pitchers that can take the ball and eat up 180 yes. innings. He's got to do that. He can't He can't send this young pitching staff out there to figure it out, or otherwise it's the exact contrast of what he's doing with his position players. He has to also make those pitchers earn their way into the rotation. And I do think you'll see some guys, and it may be guys that are Johnny Cueto'd, you know? It could be John, Johnny. Johnny could be back. 
John, John, John could be, be back. back. James Paxson could be on this team, right? The I mean, big you maple. Could, you, Why not? You could see. You could see. Oh my God! You could see Vince Velasquez come walking through the door. Jake Odorizzi could be here or something like that. Again, I I still think that a a, a Sean Manaya is the guy that you want to go and get. I just now I see the Mets interested in him, and I'm like, oh, we should have knocked on his door earlier. Well, the Mets are also interested in Lucas Giolito. Yeah, they're going to lose the him. Mets to, they're going to lose, lose Giolito to the Red Sox. I thought it was funny that we talked about on the last show how nobody was mentioning any of these White Sox free agents, and now all of a sudden Giolito is like the hot pitching name. That's like right. He's going to be the next name that falls, the next domino. When White Sox see what he got, knowing what he is, I think at that point, they're going to have a very good idea of what they can't afford and what they're willing to spend. And then you might see them in the short term within, I'd say, two, three weeks after Giolito signs, decide what they're going to do in terms of adding a pitcher or two. Yeah, and there are still guys out there, too. And that's the important thing to understand is that it's not like the cupboard's completely bare. It's just that, you know, the names that are on there aren't exciting, but that's okay. We don't need excitement. Like you said, if James Paxton is healthy and is capable of taking the ball 30 times this year, that's that's a nice, that's be a nice grab. He's always injured. That'd be a surprise. Yeah, he's always I should hurt, have though. never included him in the idea of we need a guy to do 180 innings. Like that but, uh, but Hun Jin Ryu, okay? <laughs> There's who, a guy. That's a, you know, that's, a, that's a body. That's a body. That's a name, right? <laughs> Frankie Montas, that's a body. That's oh, a God, name. Half of these guys I wouldn't even put on my fantasy team. Man. But we're not asking them to be on their fantasy team. We're just asking them to give up ground balls so that Paul DeYoung can suck him up and throw him out. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.